Hi there, Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of Farm Equipment's podcast series, Our Dealer Story. In this week's episode, I talk with Matt and Jesse Strader, second generation owners of New Holland Rochester, a seven store New Holland dealership in Indiana. Their father, Jim, started the dealership in 1983, buying the New Holland Company store in Rochester, Indiana. At the time, he had been a territory manager for New Holland, and with so many stores closing in the area he covered, his position was being eliminated. He cashed in his savings and went to work growing the dealership's business. In 1987, the dealership moved to a new location across town. But it kind of put us on the map with New Holland, with farmers. I mean, it was a, we moved across town to a newer building. We had a new mentality from the previous owners, service support and all that stuff. Dad even told us a story one time. He said when we were making the changes going across town, he had farmers coming in or customers asking if we needed help moving. They were just ecstatic. A farm equipment dealership invested right here in their back door. That was Matt Strader commenting on how the farmers and community embraced the dealership and what it meant to them to have an equipment dealership invested in their community. Before we head over to Matt and Jesse, I wanted to thank our sponsor, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this podcast series possible. We'll jump into the conversation with Matt sharing the story of how the family got started in the farm equipment business. This is the Our Dealer Story of Rochester, New Holland. It was your dad who started the dealership, right? That's right. Okay. From what you know or knew at the time, how did he come into the business and get started? I'll give you the cliff note version, even though it's going to not seem like a cliff note version. But okay. I know dad grew up in Southern Illinois, and my grandpa, my dad's dad, had a case dealership until probably around the late 70s. Then it switched over to a New Holland dealership. Dad, when he went to college, he actually went to get like a degree to teach phys ed and math and some of that to get his teaching degree. But in the meantime, he went to work for New Holland as a field test guy for the TR combines. So he traveled around the country with a TR-70 before the TR-70 was out and basically did field tests, went to farms using it, that sort of thing. And then when he moved out of field tests, so he stayed with New Holland, he moved out of the field test and went to work for the company as like a territory manager. Mm-hmm. And that would have been the uh, early 80s because I, I was born in 81. So it had to be about late 70s, right around 1980, give or take that time frame. So he was a territory rep for New Holland covering Indiana. And, and that's what brought him to Indiana. And then from my memory or what I'm thinking here, in, 80, in 81, New Holland basically said they were eliminating either some company stores that he called on and or like his position with the company, not necessarily him, but what his role was. And he had the opportunity to take over a company store here in Rochester, or he was essentially going to be out of a job, at least momentarily. So he took over the dealership. This would have been back in 83. There was a company store here in Rochester. He basically cashed in his savings, bought the dealership, and then essentially grew it, ran it, since 83, we moved out here into our, what I call our newer building at the time in 89, and that happened to be when the Farm Progress Show came to Rochester, Indiana. So we had a lot going on in the 80s, if you will. But it kind of put us on the map with New Holland, with farmers. I mean, it was a, we moved across town to a newer building. 
We had a new mentality from the previous owners, service support and all that stuff. Dad even told us a story one time. He said uh, when we were making the changes going across town or whatever, he had farmers coming in or customers asking if we needed help moving from one location to the other. Like they were just ecstatic to see a farm equipment dealership invested right here in their back door. So that's what started us. That, That would have been about 87 when we built our first building here in Rochester and really had our feet on the ground, if you will. Fast forward just a little bit. I would have only been seven at the time. If you're curious on us as far as our involvement, I, at that time when we moved out here in 87, I got to learn how to drive a tractor for the first time. I got to learn how to mow along the county highway out front, move equipment on the lot and mow. I mean, I was thrilled to only be about three feet tall and be able to drive a compound. Yeah. I thought that's pretty cool. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's when I got started as far as myself goes. I'd always come to the dealership and I, I used to get, it sounds stupid now, but I used to get grounded from going to work because I just, I love coming down to the dealership and I hated doing homework and stuff at home. I just oh, yeah. did not care for that at all. So <laughs> that's, I, I just always stayed at the store and um, would help do whatever we could. If it was mowing stuff, if it was helping be an extra hand setting up equipment or doing stuff like that, I have somewhere an article that a newspaper company took a picture of me helping another uh, employee of ours setting up some compact tractors and they just thought it was interesting or odd that a maybe a nine-year-old or eight-year-old or something at the time would be helping set up compact tractors. Yeah. That's just what I like to do or just wanted to be around or could help do whatever. So I was always, me personally, I was always involved in doing stuff like that and, and growing up with it. But What's your position today? So essentially director of sales for our okay. complex. So the early 80s is when your your dad cashed in his savings to, to jump into the dealership world. Yep. It was kind of a a bold time to be That's right. <laughs> <laughs> deciding that that was your future. I'll tell you that it was like 16% interest rates on this house and other stuff. You're talking about a bold move, but yep. With so were you both born at that point or I don't how What's the age uh, I was difference born in '81, and I was born in '86, so not I, I was not white at the time. So I don't know um, if you want to know as far as what I remember or things back when I was little, getting into it at that time. So like the late '80s, there would have been a Ford 1710 model, okay. like that would have been the model of a compact tractor, that size frame or whatever. Like that's I always used to drive that stuff. They were just compact tractors, and that's the I didn't have to stretch too far to push on the clutch. Or the you could brake. reach it. So I could drive those, and I can remember doing anything from grading our driveway because it was gravel to, it seems like I helped drive drive that or did something out at our field across town where the Farm Progress Show was. I, I vaguely remember that. I, I don't remember even what I was doing, but that's, I'm digging in my memory bank. I, yeah. And I used to, as far as actually helping around the store, I can remember helping rebuild a burnt, 411 grasshopper. Dad and I had to rebuild it. And then that's what I would use to mow our front yard at the time. I was so happy to go from a self-propelled Ford push mower mowing the yard to a self-propelled ride-on grasshopper. It was just like, finally I can just ride a riding lawnmower. But um, but that was, that, you're, I'm telling you, we're digging way back into the complex. <laughs> Having the Farm Progress show basically across the street, did was that a nice boost 
to the business or what kind of impact did it have at all? Our farm progress show was across town from where our new building was. Okay. okay. Ironically, it was about a mile or two from our old building. But we moved across town in 87. The Farm Progress Show it was here in 89. And so we basically dealt with a bunch of new equipment. So that's a big show. That's a big deal, not just for dealers, but for manufacturers. I mean, it is today, and it really was even back then. And um, so obviously we would have had a lot of new stuff shipped in. But, I mean, I was only eight at the time. I mean, I, I don't even remember what all was shipped in here. All I know is we had a lot of equipment. Yeah. I do remember that part, but. All right. Jesse, what are some of your early memories from? I certainly don't remember as much as Matt did. Um, <laughs> he's got five years of age on me and whatnot. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, growing up, I mean, I wasn't uh, nearly as connected to the dealership, I guess, as Matt was. I mean, Matt, Matt can tell you the day he was born, he knew exactly what he was going to do. And, <laughs> and, you know, that's just how he's been. I mean, when I grew up, I'd be around the dealership, and Dad would have me do just small tasks to just help out with this or that. The simple stuff like mowing or whatnot, but we're both Purdue graduates. I went to uh, Purdue to be a math teacher, um, and I, I really didn't learn until later on or around that time that Dad actually also went to college to get his math teaching degree. I thought it was kind of interesting, but, but uh, I mean, I, I went to college not um, anticipating to be um, tagged to the dealership. I went and taught for two years, and then um, uh, when I when I was going to college at Purdue, I would come back to the dealership, and um, I would do a lot of the, the IT stuff around here, like the computer work and whatnot. And um, as far as early memories go, I mean, that was definitely my first kind of involvement with the dealership, was uh, set, setting up emails or installing computers or putting parts program software on them. I mean, Dad would always have me involved in that kind of stuff. I mean, as a a teenage kid. I, I've always had a, a major knack for computers. I mean, just love them, everything you can do with them and whatnot. And um, so, uh, so, so I went and I, I taught math for two years. And then, um, in, in the meantime, while I was in college and teaching, Dad was acquiring one dealership after another. And um, it, it just got to the point after my second year of teaching uh, over the summer, he said, uh, you know, I'm to the point now where I need a full-time IT person. You can't just do this. We, we can't just have you doing this in the summers when you're off for a few months, you know. And um, so, uh, I, you know, we talked about that, and I said, well, you know, I guess I get what we're talking here. I mean, that actually sounds really feeling like I would do that full-time. So he offered me the job, and that's kind of um, – so that's how I got into the dealership full-time. Um, and then after a few years, I mean, um, my responsibilities just grew pretty quick. Um, before long, I was overseeing the, the parts department for all the stores as far as just the parts management and the things. Um, and I think that kind of came about from um, uh, just doing IT stuff, like anything that uh, involved reporting numbers. I mean, I, I was the guy that could create the reports, build the spreadsheets, do all that. So as far as parts management goes, uh, doing inventory type stuff, I mean, I was just kind of a natural fit. So um, so I, I was the IT guy slash parts manager for a couple of years. And then um, and then uh, Dad told us when he turned 65, uh, he would give uh, my brothers and I enough rope to hang ourselves with. Is how, is how he describes it. <laughs> None of us knew what that meant until the day of when he turned 65. 
so he, he uh, made me the CEO that day. Matt was the director of sales. He, uh, he, he was before that, too, and he said that yeah, that was the best place for him to, to be. Uh, so, I mean, Matt has all the equipment knowledge and, and everything that I don't, whereas I guess I'm more of the, uh, the spreadsheet bean counter kind of a guy. So that's just kind of how things got penciled out, I guess. Far stretch from being a math teacher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matt, when did you, so I know you were basically born in the dealership, but <laughs> when did you come on in an official employee capacity? So Dad and I had a little conversation about that about when I was 15. Okay. Because at that time I learned I was going to have to buy my first vehicle, and I said, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to need money to pay for it. So I got on the payroll probably when I was 15, give or take. And honestly, not that I, what I remember anyway, not not that I really cared one way or the other, but I guess if I was going to be expected to earn my own stuff or pay for my own stuff, then I had to get compensated for it. Versus right. him was it, like I, I grew up riding, racing dirt bikes and this and that. I mean, I like to play and have fun too. And, and dad was always there to help me buy the stuff or whatnot, knowing that I was always here trying to help work and do things. It was just kind of always a natural yeah, I'm going to do this, and then hopefully I get this or whatever, you know. Yeah, when he told me I was going to be buying my first vehicle, that's when I told him I'm going to probably need to be on the payroll so I have a way to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. So were you just kind of doing what you were already doing then as a 15-year-old? So or did you have an official job? I would have still been in school, obviously, but yeah. Yeah. Things like mowing the lot still needed done and washing equipment. I mean, yeah. they had washing combines and especially manure spreaders, but... Yeah, we always have to wash equipment. We'd have to help help with some setup on equipment. Or if I had to go along with the sales guys or other guys to, say, pick up equipment or mm-hmm. other things, I, I was just always an extra hand around just to do whatever. I, okay. now, obviously, I couldn't tear an engine apart at that time and work on stuff. But if I just needed to go somewhere or do something, then I was I was right there involved. And I, I truly think, looking back on it, it was probably a really – good move by accident because it got me involved with the equipment, which I found out I, I, I love equipment. I There's two things I like doing. I love working with equipment and I love working with people. And I think a lot of that early on got me involved and got me uh, linked up with a lot of our customers. They knew I was there vested in the dealership. Uh, obviously, when I'm a kid, I'm not making management decisions or things like that, right? But as I get older and as I start working with guys and I was selling equipment, officially full-time employed after I got out of Purdue and stuff, it, it kind of made it a natural fit or easy because, um, A, we were in good times market-wise, and B, I knew a lot of customers already, they, and they knew me or whatever, so it wasn't a, well, who's this new kid coming out or whatever. Yeah. I, mean, I was yeah. already here. I mean, some of them even reminded me when I was selling stuff. I remember when you were running your little dirt bike around there when you're <laughs> old or whatever. So that's a long answer to a short question probably, but no, technically right. being paid when I was about 15. But when I went to Purdue from 2004, I bought a house down by our Rossville store. So I would help sell equipment while I was going to school with the notion school came first. And then in the summertime, I would move back home and help sell equipment here in the summertime. Okay. Did you come on as a, a salesperson then, or did you have... Yeah, so uh, so once I graduated college, which would have been in spring of 04 at Purdue with ag business management, uh, I had the mentality I was moving home and then I was going to be good to go in sales. But 
uh, dad made me stay there another year since I already had my house. And at that time, uh, that store was needing an extra sales rep or needing extra help in that department, whatever. And he knew and I figured out that there's a lot of things that I took for granted at Rochester. At the Rossville store, I had guys tell me that service was an issue, that some other things were an issue, and this or that, and it, it was not easy to just sell equipment like up at our store up here. I mean, I didn't even think about there being any headwind or whatever. So that was kind of an eye-opening experience. It was uh, one of those experiences of the best education type deals. And so I stayed down at our Rossville store for a year before I moved back to Rochester in sales, basically on my own, and kind of learned the ropes, I'll say by experience in the hard way, without a dedicated shop or a dad or whoever right on my right-hand shoulder saying, do this, do that type of deal, if that kind of makes sense. We'll get back to New Holland Rochester's story in a minute, but first I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. After that, head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Now back to the story of New Holland Rochester and how the dealership has grown over the years and what Matt and Jesse expect for the future of the dealership and their hopes for the third generation. So is it just the two of you involved in the business or are there other siblings? So uh, we have two other brothers and then our stepmom, as far as family goes, uh, would be, so our stepmom would be head of accounting. And then our other two brothers, so we have one that's in between Matt and I, uh, age-wise, and then and then our youngest brother. Those two sell, sell our solar full-time, uh, along with my dad. They're just focused on that. For, part of our business, uh, the, the solar panel business industry, if you know anything about it, just booming, booming, booming. So they're so they're, they're involved with that and running with it. So when dad turned 65 and quote-unquote retired, um, he, he went to go sell solar and uh, that, so that's what he probably does 90% of his time with, I'd say, um, as of today. Okay. And then you briefly mentioned how, Jesse, like kind of right around when you were coming on board is when you guys started acquiring some other stores. Can you kind of talk about how that growth happened and kind of the timeline of, of that? Yeah, so that would have acquired the first store, Logan Sport. It would have been 20 minutes south of here in the early 90s, we'll say. Uh, I, I would have been, let's see, I was born in 86, so five, or five, five to ten years old at the time. I mean, I don't remember much about that one. Uh, I, I know it was in the early 90s we acquired Logan Sport. That was a New Holland dealer 20 miles away. And then we went from there in 97 and acquired a, another New Holland store down in Rossville, Indiana. And then... It would have been about uh, 2008, we acquired the New Holland Tri-County location or Bluffton location. As far as uh, after that, 2013, we acquired the, at the time it was a Centerville location, and then we built a new store, which is in now Richmond, Indiana, and it's only like three miles apart from the old store, but it's in a new township. That's the Richmond location. and then in 14, we acquired a store in Greentown, Indiana. And with, with all the stores having the, you didn't name them all New Holland Rochester, is there some cohesiveness among them still, though, even with the different yep. naming? Yeah. yeah, we all use the same business system. We all have access to the same equipment, the same pricing, essentially, all, all that. But it's a, each, each store is its own business entity. So 
So like if we have one store making a lot of money, great. And if another store is not making a lot of money or whatever, we can even those out or whatnot. It's pretty transparent in the numbers. And yeah, I mean, we can yeah. have hour long conversation weighing the pros and cons of, <laughs> of the separation versus, you know, having them all the same. But that, I can tell you, Dad's mentality is each store is on its own business with its own store manager because he wants customers to be able to walk into that store and deal with the store manager that can make decisions right there and feel like and know that store is there to handle that area. It's not part of a conglomerate that has to go check with five upper management levels to get back right. in. It's like that store is that business yep. at the end of the day. Yep. Okay. And it, it keeps that with being each having its the name being New Holland Rochester, you know, so it stays part of the community. I would guess is yeah, sort of the yep. thought. How was um, through that growth and those acquisitions? How was the kind of the transitioning and growing pains that come along with with that? I guess you weren't all you weren't necessarily in the so business full time yet, but I can share some of my experience and, and Jesse can too. But <laughs> as he stated, I, not not to hold this against any of my brothers, but. I mean, I, I would live and breathe to be down here at the dealership. So I can tell you when we acquired the Logan Sports Store, I mean, I would have only been 11 or something. I know Dad was always busy with the business side of things, and we would be out doing what I would call now stupid stuff, like out driving tractors. We even thought it was pretty cool because at the time, there was a big railroad bed behind the store, and we'd always take pickup trucks and go driving down, <laughs> down the railroad bed and stuff. And I think Dad's aware of most of it, maybe not all of it. But, uh, yeah, so we just, as a kid, we were always, I mean, working and helping, but at the same time having fun. And he didn't drag us into the, like, well, we got to expand this business system or we got to do this or mm-hmm. got to do that. I mean, he was always working probably 24-7, honestly. And we were here helping work. I mean, at the end of the day, we do what we can, but at the same time, we're still only kids. So uh, I, I can tell you little things I remember. When we did go to two stores, trying to get a business system to connect between the two stores was not easy because we didn't have internet at the time and they were trying to use uh, like radio towers above us and trying to get one to see the other. And I remember him fighting that and not happy about it, whatever. (laughs) So I know that was a challenge when we went from one store to two. But um, I can also tell you, even today, that will tell you, We've never just taken over a store that was like healthy, making money, and all this and that. It's always yeah. when they're going broke or they're having trouble or selling out or whatever. And so we've always had challenges in trying to, we'll say, get reputations turned around or get uh, the right records on going, the employee attitudes and customer attitudes. Like that's that just seems like it's a constant challenge anytime we go somewhere or add something. I, I've never added a store that was doing so well and just said you guys are finally on board with us or something like that. Right, yeah. But I, I know that's been a lot of the challenges. and I, I know the Internet boom came in the late 90s, and that, that didn't necessarily play right into our hand as far as the business goes until probably in the early 2000s or something. Okay. I know that did help streamline a lot of things, but I, I, just, I know early on I can remember him mentioning, griping, whatever you want to call it about, well, I can't get connected to Logan Sport. Like, it was just like the world coming to an end because I can't get on their business system or something. And then how has the business grown or changed since you guys have been there now, now that you're you're running the business? Oh, it's so much better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 
really, as far as changes go, I mean, Jesse can speak to this too, but I, it, we have a call it officially took over, uh, what, in 2016? Yeah. And we had some challenges. I mean, the market, honestly, 2015 is, a, is probably the worst year I will experience, at least I hope that's the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, because everything was just free falling and market values and this and that and it was just it was just flat tough. Sixteen wasn't any better. I mean we were still losing money and that'll tell you our store has never lost money the day he took over in the early eighties until twenty fifteen. I mean never ever lost a dollar. So everything just went downhill and fast. Of course we're stepping into it and saying, Okay, now what the hell are we gonna do? We're gonna do this the rest of our life and uh so I'm kind of glad we're we're um, involved, taking over, however you want to say it, in trying times, because at least we'll know or remember. I know we'll remember at a minimum <laughs> what things are like, and if we get back into good times, hopefully we're still in check or grounded and say we still don't want to have 40 new T8s out there because at one time we were only selling five new T8s mm-hmm. or so. Yeah. Anyway, just the markets have changed. Kind of as we were taking over, as far as employees go, I mean, we, we're probably the same or maybe a little less employees, not much less. Mother and dad is here. But we're, I would say we're over uh, half our employees are different, I'll bet. Uh, what I mean by that is we've had some leave, some retire. We brought on new ones. Uh, some of them just weren't going to have, I'll call it us kids, uh, kind of running the show or telling them what to do. I am off the top of my head if I had to. So they had to get used to us coming in and and really I was I was managing sales officially since like thirteen. And before that I was in full time sales but also doing some management on the side because I would order all of our equipment and, and just know what we needed or try to help on trade values anyway and do a lot of that stuff. I kinda of transitioned into it I'll say more slowly, but officially in thirteen I can remember Exactly. Dad coming down to my office, and I can always tell when he's serious or in a hurry, and he says, can I have you take over for managing the sales side of things fully? And we, of course, worked out some details in a two-minute conversation, and he says, if we go down there and buy Centerville, then I'm going to either have to get someone to manage sales or you're going to have to do it full-time expanding like that. that that's kind of why at that time I got basically uh, either stepped up, pushed up, whatever you want to call it. And just dedicated fully on managing on sales. Now, if you know sales well enough, it's a relationship business. You can't just cut off your 30, 40, 50 customers that you've taken care of and say all of a sudden you've got to deal with so-and-so. So I still get sales calls even today. And I get guys that just want to deal with me, and that's fine. But I try to delegate a lot of it out to my sales reps um, just so that I can try to still get stuff done on my own on the management side but I'll say maybe right before I started managing sales but when I really started figuring out what was going on we traditionally were never in the tillage market we were never in the sprayer market but around 2012 time frame we finally made those steps we picked up Kuhn Krauss it was Krauss tillage at the time Um, we picked up uh, New Holland sprayers at the time and in my mind I was I know I was pushing Dad, and I can remember going to the Louisville Farm Show and showing him the products and saying, like, we got to have more than just hay tools and tractors because we've got to have the full piece of the puzzle if we're going to go out to offer farmers the products. 
So you could probably put something like that in there. We we traditionally were just only New Holland with a few other short lines, but around 2012 or something, we started making strides. I would say even backing up to about 08 or 09, we, we took our McKenzie planters and eventually added that to other locations and then added Kraus Tillage in 12, added sprayers in 12, trying to be a more diversified, full piece of the puzzle dealership, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And when did, um, so Ag Technologies is your precision-focused store? AgTech was initially set up to handle our precision sales and our okay. self-propelled sprayer line. Is that and still the case? No. About two or three years ago, we moved the self-propelled yeah. sprayers to our across the parking lot to New Holland, Rochester, and then dedicated AgTech to only be the what we call the PLM products, the GPS, all of that stuff, as a standalone business to help all of the other stores, including New Holland, Rochester, across the road. Basically, with just that segment of the business, we have, I think, three full-time guys dedicated to that product group. Okay. But in the, in the meantime, when Dad, quote-unquote, retired in 16, that meant he moved his office back across the parking lot where it was in 87 when he built it and just wanted to focus only on solar stuff. Okay. And he's got a passion for renewable energy, and that's a whole other day-and-a-half conversation. But So he's focused only on that and... When I say only on that, I mean like it's a it's a big part of our business to the point we do probably around twelve million worth of solar business this year. Wow. It's not a small like we're selling a few solar panels type deal. Yeah. It it's a big deal to us. And luckily in the right times we're we're doing very, very well with solar while we're struggling with the ag industry. So we're yeah. still able to kind of offset that and still make things meet and work. When did the solar part of the business get added or started or uh, 2011, he put up a solar system at the store here, and he really just designed it and did it on his own, uh, knowing that he was going to have his store on 100% renewable energy. In 2008, we put up a windmill. We got a grant to put up this um, Berge windmill. It's a 10 kW for whatever that's worth on size. That's how much power it produces. But we still needed more power, so we put up a solar system out here because solar is much more consistent for power. Mm-hmm. Like it, you can judge how much you're going to have. It's not dependent upon the wind. So he put that out here, and it was kind of an accidental um, adventure or dream come true because our customers who have land and space to put this stuff started asking questions, well, can I put that on my farm or can I put that on my house? And So one thing led to the other. He said, well, yeah, I'll build you a system for this, and then, yeah, we'll go do that system. And then once he saw the writing on the wall and said, there's actually an opportunity here to sell a lot of this stuff. That's that's when we um, looked into making it a big part of our business. And, of course, it took a few years to get that done. But that's when he said, I'm just going to hang it up and retire off the equipment side. Does that mean he doesn't care or doesn't check in and, and just let us spend money uh, without double-checking <laughs> with him sometimes? <laughs> so, but it means, like, he doesn't – he's not going to trainings. He's not – watching the inventories, he's not doing this or that, he's just depending on us to take care of it. Right. You tell him kind of what we're doing, but he's focused on the solar business part, and that's his passion for it. It's equivalent to a lot of people retiring and going to Florida to play golf, only he's right. going to the parking lot to go do solar. 
<laughs> so is it a separate business or are the two businesses still well, linked together? The ag technology store is its own standalone business, even though it's across the parking lot in the same town. Okay. Okay. It's still its own business. So we tell people we have six locations and seven stores. And then is the solar business its own completely, totally That's separate from the dealership or is it? It's a division of ag technology. What do you think is next for you guys? What's next for New Holland, Rochester? What's in the future? Like what we're involved with, obviously we're pushing the equipment side of things. We're we're trying to get, we'll say, our foundation more solidified. So we got, we still got Greentown. We have Rossville um, that essentially needs either new buildings or new facilities. We still got some struggles at a couple of our stores as far as getting sales up and running. Um, in, in these times, uh, I'll say the employee part is um, pretty challenging mm-hmm. because the economy is doing so well. And, and there's jobs everywhere and paying very well and stuff. Meanwhile, the ag industry is not doing very well. So that's a hard balance when you're struggling to make money on the ag side and having to pay good slash premium wages to attract good people. It's just a that's a tough balance to make. But yeah, we're trying to we're trying to get the right people in the right places. We're making changes. I'm not say all the time, but this year we've made some pretty good changes. As long as we can go forward, grow the equipment business a little bit, do a little bit more with solar, and especially at the other stores, to try to generate some dollars or profits that we can put back into the stores to maybe build a couple of new facilities and get them on the ground running. Mm-hmm. That's what we've told New Holland, and I kind of say it this way so if they happen to read this article. <laughs> uh, we're trying to get our foundation built better so that if there's opportunities to expand uh, to new areas, then we should be in a good position to do that. But You'll be ready, yeah. But right now, with the way things are, as tough as they are, with our own, I'll, I'll say problems and or opportunities, you can look at it both ways. we got to get a few things fixed and get going better uh, before we're able to just add another point. Right. But adding a point is the easy part. Finding the right people and getting the right things in place, that's the hard part. Oh, yeah, definitely. So is there, you're both still only in your 30s, so probably not immediately, but will there be, you know, is there Generation 3 that will will come into the dealership at some point? Well, yeah. I'll turn, <laughs> I'll turn 38 tomorrow, so that Generation 3 has got a little ways to go. go yeah. Well, but, happy uh, birthday. Yeah, thanks. But I, I jokingly joke with my sales guys, especially on aged equipment. I have a daughter that's nine. Or she'll be 10 shortly, and I have a boy that just turned 7, Mason. And I jokingly tell him if stuff's been here long enough or attachments or takeoffs and they're in the weeds over there and we're doing inventory, I'll say, we've got to get this going or fix it or take care of it because I do not want Mason to deal with it 30 years from now. <laughs> they get what I'm saying, right? I mean, it's right. Fun, you got to get fixed and whatever. And I, I, I mean, I say I inherited some of that problems. I mean, we we were just flying through good times and then not really caring about some extra stuff we had or old stuff. It just we were making enough money and enough sales and stuff on the new side and, and newer products that a lot of stuff just got forgotten about. And then it's like when the, when I started looking at things and, and saying, why are those loaders out back rusting? They've been there for 10 years, still in the crate. So we started putting things on auction time, started cleaning some things up and whatever. But, yeah, as far as Generation 3 goes, um, there's seven 
Yeah, right and now. Between my brothers and and I, uh, seven uh, kids between us, two boys, five girls. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think there might be interest in there, but I'm not. They're not old enough. My kids are the oldest, and they're the oldest is ten. So right, they're really not old enough right now. She tell she'll tell you she wants to be a dolphin trainer, which has nothing to do with the farming <laughs> business. But who knows? They may want an interest in it. Um, they may not. I, whatever they want to do and enjoy doing is what they'll do. Yeah, I, yeah. I envision at least one, one of mine and or some of our family uh, to come in as Generation Three. And I and I tell my brothers or dad, uh, I want to be here. I want to see it grow. I want to see it do well. And that's not so that we can put a price tag on it 30 years from now and then go cash in and and go kick back on the beach. I I mean, they always say you can't take your money with you when it's time to go. And I, I envision us just trying to build this, sustain it, maybe grow it some, and to try to give the next generation an opportunity. And if none of them want it, we'll find someone else that'll be able to take it over or or buy it at that time and move on but yeah but you're a long way from that point at this yeah, right that's now right. only i didn't i remember going to a, uh, a meeting in ohio about five or six seven years ago and they talked about generation changes and they said the day the one generation takes over like so it was interesting to be us if you will is the day you should start planning on how the next generation is going to take <laughs> over yeah and i never really thought that much about it but i thought you know that's actually not bad idea or whatever because mm-hmm. if you're going to spend 30 plus years working and growing things you you really want to have the same vision or whatever as the next generation coming up and have that figured out how to hand it off and and a lot of guys will tell you and i remember dan telling me anyway and, and i've heard it from other guys not just dealers even farmers one of the hardest things to do is not necessarily selling the business or giving it away to the next generation it's figuring out how to do it mm-hmm so, yep. Yeah. And do it smoothly and so that yep. everyone remains successful. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Thanks so much to Matt and Jesse Strader for taking the time to sit down and share New Holland Rochester's story with us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lessetermedia.com. You can subscribe to the podcast via Spotify, iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you're alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Thanks for joining us for this one-on-one conversation with Jesse and Matt Strader. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of the Art Dealer Story Podcast.